0: Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode number 235 of the Bible 2021 podcast. We are reading 2 Corinthians chapter 2 today, and our focus is on how do Christians make decisions. So we've got a lot to talk about in a short time to get there. So let's go ahead and get started with me pointing you to our website, Bible2021.com, Bible2021.com. Now one of the things that is striking about 2 Corinthians is how much of a letter it is and how many personal details in it. Now, some books of the Bible, I have books in quote there, are actually letters. Some of these letters, like Romans and Hebrews, might indeed read a little bit more like a book. But 2 Corinthians just has a lot of personal information in it that reads just like a letter, which is quite enlightening and personal in a lot of ways, but it can also be confusing in a few places. The Corinthian church of the first century certainly understood the context of Paul's statements and some of the answers to questions he was giving, but the problem is uh, we don't have those questions in front of us, only Paul's responses, and that can lead to a little bit of confusion on our part. For instance, 2 Corinthians 2, 5-8, through 8, Paul writes, If anyone has caused pain, he has caused pain, not so no, much to me to some degree, not to exaggerate, but to all of you. This punishment by the majority is sufficient for that person. As a result, you should instead forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he may be overwhelmed by excessive grief. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. Now, is Paul referring to the man who was having some sort of a ungodly relations with his stepmother from the first letter of Corinthians, or is he referring to somebody else entirely? And honestly, we aren't sure. We don't have the context of the situation, and any answer we might give now would be speculation. Now, I also find verse 12 to be interesting. Uh, 12 and 13, actually, Paul writes, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though the Lord opened a door from me, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find my brother Titus. Instead, I said goodbye to them and left for Macedonia. Well, our passage, if you can remember, two days ago... 1 Corinthians 16, Paul discussed how a door for fruitful ministry had been opened to him in Ephesus so he would stay on for some time there, even in the face of fierce opposition. But in today's chapter, verses 12 and 13... Paul seems to indicate another door had been opened for fruitful ministry by the Lord. He says it specifically, but Paul could not or would not go through it because he was so concerned about his friend and brother Titus. So he left and went after Titus. So we see in the last couple of days, two similar open doors are presented to the Apostle Paul, and he makes two different decisions. And I believe we can glean from this that there is grace to handle similar situations in different ways. And I believe the Bible demonstrates that we have a certain freedom to make decisions in absence of God's direct commands. Now, the Bible never commands us to pray about certain decisions until we hear or understand the perfect will of God. And yes, we'll talk about it in a minute. The Bible does command us to know God's will, but does that mean we must know his direction on every single decision in life? For instance, must we pray until God tells us to marry Jenny or Janet? Or go to Auburn or Alabama or even, I don't know, Michigan State? Does the Bible require us to pray until God tells us to buy a home on Elm Street or Oak Street? Paint our bedroom a certain shade of beige or a certain shade of blue? Many Christians believe that we must pray until we know all of God's will on those kind of decisions. But the Bible doesn't really teach that or demonstrate that. Instead, we have situations like Paul faced here with two similar open doors and two different responses from Paul, neither of which appeared to miss God's will. So how can you and I know God's will? How can we make decisions? Well, Kevin DeYoung has a great book he wrote a few years ago. It's a short book on biblical decision-making called Just Do Something. I highly recommend it. In that book, he says this, The will of God is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, says Ephesians 5, 17. And we see that understanding God's will is a good thing. But if we keep reading in Ephesians 5, we'll see that the Lord's will is that we don't get drunk and that we are filled with the Holy Spirit, which in turn means addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to the Lord with all of our hearts, giving thanks always and for everything, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ so what is the will of god that paul outlines in these verses well jared sitzer in his book on discovering god's will summarizes it well he says what is the will of god is it some specific secret plan god has for us and wants us to spend days weeks and months and years even discovering not at all Rather, it consists of a sober life, living in the power of the Holy Spirit and offering praise and gratitude to God for his goodness. Paul's main concern is about how believers conduct themselves in ordinary life. Simply put, God's will is your growth in Christ-likeness. God promises to work all things together for our good, that we might be conformed to the image of his son. In Romans eight twenty eight and 29, God promises to make us loving, pure, and humble like Christ. In short, God's will is that you and I get happy and holy in Jesus. So go marry somebody, provided you're equally yoked. In other words, you're not marrying an unbeliever, and you actually like being with each other. Go get a job, provided it's not wicked. Go live somewhere in something with somebody or nobody, but put aside the passivity and the quest for complete fulfillment and the perfectionism and the preoccupation with the future, and for God's sake, start making some decisions in your life. Don't wait for some sort of divine liver shiver. If you are seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, says Young, you will be in God's will, so just go out and do something. Again, I recommend that book. Just do something. It's a quick and easy read. Now with that, I suggest a five-step process to help us with biblical decision-making. Number one, where God commands in his word, we must obey. We don't have an option there. When the word of God clearly reveals something, we know God's will and we have to follow it. So should we marry an unbeliever? And the Bible tells us clearly that we may not. We're not to be unequally yoked. So that's a pretty easy decision right there. Step number two, where there is no command in the Bible, God gives us the freedom to choose and sovereignly orchestrates and leads our choices for our ultimate good his glory, and to accomplish his will. So, who should I marry? Does God have the perfect person picked out for me, and I have to pray until I get a shiver all over my body or hear a word whispered in my ear in the night? Jessica, or Jennifer, or Janet, is that how big decisions work? No. We have freedom and trust that God orchestrates our decisions in his sovereignty. Psalm 37.23 says, A person's steps are established by the Lord, and he takes pleasure in his way. Step number three. Where there is no command in the Bible, we follow the example of Jesus and devote significant time to praying, trusting that God will divinely lead us and lead our decision. We see this in Luke 6, 12. During those days, Jesus went out to the mountain to spend all night in prayer to God. When daylight came, he summoned his disciples and chose 12 of them. So a big decision, who's gonna be the 12 disciples of Jesus? He prays all night about it. Does God tell him exactly who to pick? Well, the Bible never tells us that. The Bible does say though, after all night of prayer, he made a choice. He chose 12 of them. We can follow that pattern too. Step number four, where there is no command, God calls us to seek wise counsel Walk in wisdom and make a decision. And when I say seek wise counsel, that means ask people who are experienced in wisdom for their opinion, for their wisdom. Proverbs eleven fourteen 14 says, where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Finally, step number five, when we have chosen what is moral and wise, we must trust the sovereign God to work out all the details together for Good. Because he promises to do just that. And we see examples of this kind of decision making in passages like Romans 14:5 through 7, where Paul writes, One person considers one day to be above another day. Someone else considers every day to be the same. Each one must be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever observes the day observes it for the honor of the Lord. Whoever eats, eats for the Lord, since he gifts thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it is for the Lord that he does not eat it, yet he thanks God. Well, in Romans 14, we find out that Sabbaths and eating certain foods and being a vegetarian and all of those things are up to an individual's conscience. Those are decisions they get to make because the Bible doesn't clearly make commands in them. Well, let's go read our passage and hopefully this discussion will help you avoid decision paralysis Trust in God's sovereign direction in your life and realize that you don't have to discern His hidden will for every decision. Second Corinthians chapter two. In fact, I made up my mind about this. I would not come to you on another painful visit for if I cause you pain, then who will cheer me other than the one being hurt by me? I wrote this very thing so that when I came, I wouldn't have pain from those who ought to give me joy because I' am confident about all, confident about all of you that my joy will also be yours. For I wrote to you with many tears out of an extremely troubled and anguished heart, not to cause you pain, but that you should know the abundant love I have for you. If anyone has caused pain, he's has caused pain not so much to me, but to some degree, not to exaggerate, to all of you. This punishment by the majority is sufficient for that person. As a result, you should instead forgive and comfort him, otherwise he may be overwhelmed by excessive grief. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. I wrote for this purpose, to test your character, to see if you are obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I do too. For what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, is for your benefit in the presence of Christ, so that we may not be taken advantage of by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though the Lord opened a door for me, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find my brother Titus. Instead, I said goodbye to them and left for Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession and through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For to God we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To some, we are an aroma of death leading to death, but to others, an aroma of life leading to life. Who is adequate for these things? For we do not market the word of God for profit like so many. On the contrary, we speak with sincerity in Christ as from God and before God. Amen. Well, let's close with our Bible memory passage for the month of August. It's First Corinthians thirteen, four through 6. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Amen. Well, good day to you, friends. May it be a good week, and Godspeed.